Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And this week we're celebrating the new film Miss Juneteenth with Vertigo releasing. It's in cinemas and on digital now, and it's been named by Variety as an Oscar contender. My guest will be the film's director and the critic, Karina Andrabus. Miss Juneteenth stars Nicole Bihari as Turquoise Jones, a mum and former Miss Juneteenth pageant queen. The competition marks the Texan celebration of the 1865 emancipation from slavery, and this year, Turquoise is determined that her 15-year-old daughter, played by Alexis Chakese, will win. Welcome to the Miss Juneteenth pageant. I will never get over seeing Miss Juneteenth cleaning toilets. <laughs> the winner of Miss Juneteenth will receive a full scholarship to any historically black institution of your choice. Good luck. I know. That you are looking to replicate your success. What's her problem? I beat her. My first guest is Channing Godfrey Peoples. She's an American writer and director who's made several successful short films, and Miss Juneteenth is her feature debut. Channing, welcome to Girls on Film. Hi, Anna. Happy to be here. So glad to have you, and congratulations on Miss Juneteenth. On Twitter, you describe yourself as a director, a scribe, and fluent in Southern. <laughs> Can you explain that bit for the British people listening? Oh, it's so funny. You're calling me out. Um, <laughs> I grew up in um, Texas and Fort Worth specifically, which is depicted in the film. And it's actually the 13th largest city in the U.S., but it feels like a small country town in the film because I grew up in a very close-knit Black community. And so it's a community where it feels like everyone knows everyone, you know? So I very much identify with having grown up in Texas and in Black Texas specifically. And um, it comes out in my work in a lot of ways, you know? I write like I hear people talk and the film is definitely very Southern, but more specifically, very Texas. What made you want to tell this story in particular? Because it has obviously a lot of elements to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very personal story and it's a story I feel like found me because there's so many elements of my um, childhood and growing into an adult. You know, I realized things about Juneteenth at specific times of my life. And um, Juneteenth itself has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. I remember as a kid, you know, really looking forward to going to the community commemoration of Juneteenth every year. And for any of your listeners that are unfamiliar with what Juneteenth is, it's a day in which we in Texas commemorate the fact that the enslaved people in Texas didn't find out they were free until two and a half years after everyone else in the U.S. 
that's two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. And so in Texas, we commemorated with like parades and blues music, there's barbecue, there's dance. And in the centerpiece of this day is the Miss Juneteenth pageant. And that's a scholastic beauty pageant for young black women to gain college scholarship. And it was something I looked forward to annually. And did you yourself get involved with the pageant? I didn't, you know, I was a spectator and I think I was really moved by it because, you know, as a young black girl growing up in Texas, representation was entirely important and it was a place where I could go see young black women just kind of glide out on stage and all their finery. And I really remember being excited by that. Miss Juneteenth is a little bit different than your typical beauty pageant. The emphasis is on these young women gaining college scholarship, but the emphasis is also on confidence building for young Black women because typically we're growing up with this very Eurocentric idea of what beauty is. And in Miss Juneteenth, there is this Afrocentric idea pushed about what beauty is. And so, you know, a lot of young black women go through this pageant and find confidence and value in their their looks, which often aren't affirmed in the society in which we live in. When I think back on it as an adult, I remember really the hope on their face. That hope gave me a sense of confidence, I think, as a young girl. And it's something that I've continued to take with me through life. When I was a kid, I used to go to the pageant every year, dreaming that one day I'd be up there. And the girls that won looked like they were floating. And they had all this hope and promise. I felt that when I won. Like, I mean, I was walking into a new life. I still didn't believe I actually won. The girl from where I'm from didn't win Miss Juneteenth. That scholarship made me feel like I finally had a chance. Well, I think there are a lot of important messages. Your film, Miss Juneteenth, has one thing we particularly wanted to focus on, which was such a moving part and such a central part of the film, is the mother-daughter relationship. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that from your perspective and how it evolved as you were writing it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the film is super personal and um, I grew up, with a single mother. My mother was single for much of my life. And I remember watching her navigate, you know, rearing children and reconciling her own dreams. And so, you know, much of that has gone into Miss Juneteenth. Coincidentally, along the way, I ended up becoming a mother myself shortly before we filmed. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And so I brought that personal experience to the film. I understood, I think, the film in a new way because um, the film was always framed from Turquoise's perspective, but I had really written it having watched my mom. And then after I had my own daughter, I experienced something that I'd never experienced before. Like I was having, I think I was navigating two emotions at once. Like I had this joy that I instantly felt, like I instantly felt this um intimate bond with this little human being that I, you know, really can't even describe here. But I also felt fear. And that fear really was about 
am I equipped to give this little baby, you know, the best life that I can? You know, it was really wrapped around wanting to protect my daughter and create some kind of secure future for my daughter. So I would really feel like I was navigating many of the emotions Turquoise was experiencing at the same time, really in real time. And it definitely impacted the film. Well, I think it impacted it very positively because to my mind, it's very even handed. And I think that's a really important part of the film and why it will appeal to people of lots of different ages, because you've got the mother's perspective, as you say, wanting the very best in her mind for her daughter. But perhaps what the daughter wants is something healthy, but different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that makes it very relatable in lots of different ways. Did you bring any of your own childhood and your own memories of being a teenager into it? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely grew up knowing that I wanted to pursue the arts in some way. And I didn't know specifically what area that would be in. I was heavily involved in community theater. I can remember a small community theater, you know, on the side of town in which the film is depicted. It was called Sojourner Truth, and it was named after the abolitionists, of course. I just remember, you know, going there and seeing these complex black plays being put on by the community. And I was just like, I want to be involved in some way. And acting was the first thing that I grabbed on to because I was like, I can see the actors out front that made sense to me. And I also didn't, there was no real infrastructure for cinema, you know, for a young black woman in, in Texas, especially. And um, initially I was like, oh, I'm going to pursue an acting career. And then I, you know, kind of dove into literature. And I remember, you know, every summer I would take on, you know, one of the literary greats to read like Toni Morrison and Alice Walker. You know, there's a poem in the film by Dr. Maya Angelou. And it's just like, I just really dove into their literature. And what I would find is really like complex portrayals of Black women. And I would visually be able to see those portrayals in my head. It just made me, you know, want to tell stories like that. I was always writing, always into kind of poetry and writing little plays, you know. And when I finally, I think, started seeing, there was a couple of independent films, I think, that I saw as I was growing up. I was like, wow, I would love to find a way to make films, but I just had no understanding, you know, how to even get there. And as I kind of moved on in life and dipped my toe into acting, I ended up in a student thesis film at the cinema school that I ended up attending, the University of Southern California. I was in that film as an actor, and I just got so interested in everything that was happening behind the camera. It was like just some students and, you know, a small amount of lighting and a camera. But I was like, wow, this makes it look accessible. And I knew that I wanted to um, find my way into cinema. And how did you find that journey? What were the challenges? You know, there were logistical challenges. You know, you have to apply to film school. <laughs> I had really no technical acumen. You know, unfortunately, USC really focuses on storytelling. And so I was admitted gratefully. And um I'm so glad that I was because it was such a good journey for me. Like what they say is the technical acumen will catch up and eventually it did. And it really gave me access in which to be able to tell my stories. What do you think the challenges are for young black women coming in now and trying to get noticed? Do you think they are still quite significant and that we have a long way to go in terms of representation and recognition? Oh, sure. There are absolute challenges. You know, the Miss Juneteenth in particular, 
you know, I was telling a story about this black woman who is navigating this dream that she feels like she's lost, you know, and she's finding a new way to reconcile it. And it's an interior story about this black woman. So these stories are made far and few between, you know, especially stories, complex stories with black women leads. And so there is an uphill climb when getting those films made, at least it was with this one for me, but I was just so determined to get it done. So I think probably, you know, for the young women that are coming in, there's a sense of determination, I think, right now in black people, especially telling their stories. And I think you have to be stubborn about it because I was definitely stubborn about getting this film out in the world. Ain't nothing wrong with trying to do better. That's the American dream. American dream? Ain't no American dream for black folks. We got to hold on to what we got. Now, it may not be as fancy as you wanted around here, Miss Juneteenth, but it's mine. You've mentioned, you know, right now, obviously, we've had a resurgence of interest in the Black Lives Matter movement. What role do you think film can play in that? I mean, I will tell you <laughs> that cinema is absolutely important. Art is important in playing a role in telling our stories. What I think probably right now is more important is I want to hear from the folks that are on the ground, just like the community activists the people that are in the world like doing this work. But I think as artists, you know, at least for me, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility to tell our stories. You know, it's what I've been passionate about for a long time. You know, I love black people and that definitely translates to my work. And I'm really putting into my work conversations that have been happening in the black community as long as I can remember. In particular, I really wanted to tell this story about a Black woman with a dream deferred that just knows that she wants something for herself. And this is a film about a Black woman doing that, and that's somewhat radical. Like, she has these hopes and dreams for her child to have a better life, but she also has these hopes and dreams for herself. So there's also an attempt to make a statement about us surviving as Black people, but also trying to find a way to thrive. Tell me what you're up to next. Are you allowed to tell me what you're up to next? <laughs> um, well, I'm getting Miss Juneteenth out in the world, as you know. Indeed. <laughs> but I'm working on my next original, and I can't talk specifically about it yet because I have a policy while it's still rumbling around in my head. I can't let it out into the world yet. But it will have you know, a strong female lead and also that same sense of specificity of a world we often haven't seen before on film. Well, we'd love you to come back on Girls on Film and tell us about that when you're allowed to. If you've got a second, we'd also love to know if you've got any recommendations for what you've been watching recently. Is there anything, any little top tip for the listeners? Can I go a little further back than recent? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Give us a classic. Go for it. Um, yeah, there's some classic films that I really love. You know, it's no secret, probably, if anybody's ever read anything about me, they know I love Charles Burnett. Killer of Sheep was a huge influence on me. He has another film I really love called My Brother's Wedding. I love Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust. It was an early inspiration for me. 
Cassie Lemon's Eve's Bayou. There is a fantastic filmmaker doing things more currently, Gina Prince-Bythewood, who had a film that I really love. I love all her work, but she did a film called Beyond the Lights that was really, really beautiful. And then um, this filmmaker has passed on Jonathan Demme, but I adored his work so much. And one of my favorite films from him is Rachel Getting Married. That's an excellent list. I hope people are taking notes. If not, we will put them in the program notes. Thank you for that. Any final words about Miss Juneteenth? Because we wish you all the best with it. No, I just, you know, I'm excited to have Miss Juneteenth go out into the world. I hope people find something in it because it is a very specific story, but I think that there are lots of universal themes about mothers and daughters and communities and, you know, reconciling our past and freedom really that can apply to many of us. 100%. Thank you so much, Channing, for joining Girls on Film. Thank you so much for having me. This was absolutely an honor. When we get the new place, we can bring you on more regular. I hate to see you working so hard. I'm doing the best I can. I don't have the rest of the money. We don't do credit. We don't do layaway. <laughs> you got something for her account? You know I can't carry that kind of money on me, girl. I'm be right by y'all this time. I've been holding it down a long time around here. She my dream now. I'm gonna make sure that she's something that we ain't. My next guest is Karina Antrobus, the founder of the Bechdel Test Fest, which is an ongoing celebration of films that pass the Bechdel Test and present women in a dynamic light. You can hear her on the podcast, Who Is She? And you can watch her on TV on Channel 4's Sunday Brunch. She also contributes to Empire Magazine. Well, Karina, welcome back to Girls on Film. Hello, thank you very much for having me back. Oh, well, absolutely delighted. I mean, you were on episode one, so you're one of our favourite guests, and you're also on our very first BFI YouTube episode. So oh, good to have you back. Yeah. Thanks. Where are you at the moment? Where am I speaking to you? Um, I'm in Hackney. I'm sitting in my bedroom because the rest of the house is pretty noisy. Um, I live very deep in the mix of Dalston. So, yeah, it's a hot day, so there's lots of people outside, but hey. Good stuff. Well, it's nice to connect. And um, I'm really pleased you're joining us to talk about Miss Juneteenth because I know you gave it a very lovely, warm review in Empire magazine. Mm. And we're big fans here. And it certainly passes the Bechdel test, correct? That is correct. Yes. All the way through. I mean, you've got Nicole Bahari who leads pretty much in every single scene. So it's quite impossible for her not to pass the Bechdel test considering she's always talking to her daughter or her colleagues or her mother. So yes, a lot of female energy in this. It's brilliant. Tell me what you loved particularly about this film. What was quite extraordinary about this film is that it was Channing Godfrey People's first film. And when you watch it, it's so accomplished, it's so confident. And that excited me. thought, wow, we're watching a filmmaker who we should really be keeping an eye on here. In terms of the actual film, it was just lovely. It was just lovely to see this really refreshing, authentic portrayal of a beautiful but complicated mother-daughter relationship on the backdrop of something that we can both learn from and something that we think that we recognise and that is pageants and the Juneteenth holiday. Well, I say it's a holiday, but it's still coming round to the American psyche as something to celebrate, but it's personal as well. You can sense that because everything that she puts in the film feels very detailed, very lived in. You almost feel like you've been to Texas after watching it. and. I've never been sexist, but I think the portrayal that we get on cinema on a frequent basis is very much cowboys and dusty roads. 
and very few black people. However, this had a very tight-knit black community having this real warm, toasty atmosphere of black cowboys. And it's complicated. There's a lot of things going on, but actually it's very, very relaxed and dreamy and packed of narratives in terms of you've got the mother-daughter relationship, you've got this beauty pageant going on, you've got the fact that Nicole Bahari's character is going through a on and off relationship, you've got the fact that she's being wooed by her boss and is that something that she's going to take up or not. You've also got the issues with her mother. So there's a lot of personal things going on between this woman and what she has to deal with but yet it's carried so well and it's graceful enough for us to get our teeth sunk into every single narrative. It's really, really beautiful. Tell me a little bit more about what you think about Nicole's performance, because as you say, her character has so much to deal with and so many different little Mm, plot lines that mm. were weaved so beautifully together. Mm. She has a lot to do in this. And like I said before, she is in literally every scene, I think. And this is what's so interesting about it. I think anyone who wants to see a real dynamic portrayal of a woman, she's a hard working person. She's got two jobs at least. And in all of her roles, so from being a mother, being a worker, being a potential divorcee, being somebody who's being wooed, there are all individual characters that go with those roles. But she flicks from one to the next so gracefully, with so much muscle and and charm, It's incredible. It's a really, really incredible performance and I'd really love to see her get some awards for this. However, I know in reality this is a very indie film and it's from a black female director with a black female lead and I think I'm in the right place to be able to say that those are often overlooked. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's and it's criminal. I mean, you look like mm. things things that are like clemency, which should have been up for every oh. award going, you know? Yes. With the Oscars. Absolutely. Clemency is actually a very good comparative film because you have these two very strong, powerful roles for black women who have so much to take on, both professionally and personally at home but they have such quiet resilience and they're so strong and they emote so heavily that they don't even need to do that much. And I think this is a testament to both Channing's direction and her performance in that you can just look at her and you're instantly sucked into the internalization of this role that she's portraying. And I think you're so right about this amazing performance of a woman that is juggling so many roles and she's never complaining. She's just doing what she has to do to survive. And she's made massive sacrifices because she chose to have a child Mm. and now is perhaps slightly attempting to live through that child. I mean, you've used the term dream deferred. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Yes, I really love the idea of this dream deferred. And I think it's, I mean, I don't think there's any film that I'm watching in this particular time where I'm not linking it back to pandemic or isolation. But I think the idea that you have this idea of what something is going to be, you have this idea of what your year, your life, your work, your child is going to be, but you have to quickly adapt to the reality of what that is actually landing on your plate as. And on the face of it, it could sound like a pushy mother just trying to make her pretty daughter even more pretty. But actually, there's so much more weight to the pageant of Miss Juneteenth for these black girls. It means that they get opportunity, not just a crown. This is actually education. This is a way out of their working class lifestyle. 
And that's not to say that they're trying to escape because they have a lovely lifestyle. And I think this is also what's so good about the film is that it's showing that, yeah, sure, she's struggling. There are bills to pay. But the love that she has with her daughter and the resilience that she has, she's still having a good time and there is still a lot of joy in the portrayal of this experience. If I make the dance team, I can get me a scholarship. I ain't gonna have my daughter out there dancing like that. Ain't no school handing out no full ride for that. You better hope your grades turn out right. Where's your homework? You worry about the wrong thing. I need you to focus on your studies. Let's talk a little bit more about the daughter's story because obviously with all the best meaning kind of attitude, a mother or a father can sometimes impose too much on a child, but by being open-minded, they learn to adjust their own thinking without spoilers. I feel that that's a big theme of this film. Absolutely, and I think going back to the idea of the dream deferred, she's already had experience in thinking, okay, this beauty pageant, which she won as a child herself, is going to give me so much opportunity and that not necessarily landing. And that isn't a spoiler, you get that in the first scene. Yeah. But it's a relative experience in that her in this new generation for young black girls is different to how she was when she was growing up. Everything is different. The beauty ideals are different. Mm. You know, some of the most tender moments are when the daughter is really on her own or teaching her dad to do the dance routines. You know, this is something that is part of this generation, her generation. This is how she has fun. This is how she portrays her beauty. And another thing that's really beautiful for me as well is the hair straightening scenes. So she's teaching her to be beautiful in her idea of what beauty is. And that involves a lot of hot combing and scorching this beautiful curly hair into submission when actually Kai is rejecting this idea of straight hair and embracing her big afro and I love that. As somebody that has an afro, I love that. As somebody that spent 15 years of her life trying to tame her hair, I was just like, I'm so glad that young women now can see that as a beautiful thing and that they don't have to scorch their scalps. Did watching that have any effect on you personally? On the hair thing? For sure. As the idea of like harking back to when I was young and thinking, okay, I remember really trying to decide what beauty is. And I think that's what happens with any girl of any background, of any race, uh, of any hair type. <laughs> You're just like, well, what is the beauty ideals being given to me now? And how do I fit or not fit? And how does that make me feel? I mean, I was lucky enough to have a mother who was, she was devastated when I straightened my hair. She was just like, oh my God, what have you done? <laughs> but yeah, that wasn't what was in the magazines or on the TV or the Timothee adverts. <laughs> I wish I had a relationship with my mum like they did because it's actually very very sweet is there anything else about the film that you'd like to add one of the things that i particularly love so much about the film are the bar scenes i just love the scene setting that mm. that bar gives us and it's such a clash of cross-generational people young old but they're not using the bar as somewhere to drown all their sorrows some are sure but actually it's a really safe welcoming space for everybody in the community and the way that she's filmed it just feels so warm feels so open feels so welcoming and i think those really add to the warmth of the film in mm. general and nothing's necessarily happening but it doesn't matter it's just such a good establishment of this community looking out for one another and being together and i think that's great
It's a good shout because, and again, this is something that differs from the tropes that you normally see in American films because it's so often, as you say, the drunk person propping up the bar, knocking back the shots, you know, drowning mm. their sorrows rather than a place of community. There's no reason why it shouldn't be the latter. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it's a really good place where she's had fun with the technical ability that she clearly has managed to hone over the short filmmaking career that she's got. So the palette, the colours, they're just so gorgeous and they're so regal. And you'll see the accents of this canary yellow all through. And to me, I liken it to the, the bell dress from Beauty and the Beast. And you see that sort of pop up throughout. And I think that harks to this ideal of what you were taught as a child, as what beauty is and how great it would be to be this Disney princess. And how it, eventually you have to realise that Disney is made by a very strange old man. <laughs> it, it doesn't actually necessarily equate to what reality or, or beauty is and might not necessarily be the most healthy way to aspire to be a woman. Miss Juneteenth is here to prepare you for the future. Your dinner knife. That is your salad knife. One would surely not eat the main course with that. We are expecting greatness. Why are you making me do it? Didn't do nothing for you. So Corinna, thank you for talking to me also about some current releases that people can see. And one of these is a girls on film favorite. It's called Rocks. It's out now. And we reviewed it and spoke to Sarah Gavron, the director in episode 27 from IFFR. And we also spoke to Anna Enriquez, the associate director. What amazing women and what an amazing film. Yes, of course, it's one of your favourite films. Of course, it's one of everyone's favourite films. It's just so brilliant. And it's got so much female empowerment from the inside and out. And I had the pleasure of watching it at the beginning of the year before everything got weird. And I was very excited to hear that it was coming out in September. It feels right, September, you know, back to school type vibes. But it is exactly what I needed right now. It's such a hot warming you know all the usual stuff heartwarming and inspirational and very authentic but essentially it was a tonic to not only see some positivity despite it being real about issues that are going on because let's not forget there are things going on that we're all dealing with but also it was refreshing in that you very rarely get to see a cast that looked like that a crew that looked like that yet it seemed to be so successful very well reviewed and it worked and it's resonated and I really hope that this is an indictment for the industry to not feel threatened or feel like these kind of stories are a risk because they're not. We want them and people need them and I want to see more of it. Well it's absolutely got mainstream appeal as you say I mean it's got a lovely balance I thought a bit like for example the Andrea Arnold films like Fish Tank mm. of that gritty realism and serious issues because there's you know, a girl trying to deal with the fact that her mother's left her to look after her younger brother, which is no small thing, mm. but also the lovely, uplifting bond that she has with her friends, mm. which is so tangible and so delightful. Um, so it's getting the highs and lows of that young experience so beautifully. Absolutely. And all the relationships that they all have together, they get each other through. And it's not necessarily a happy ending. It's just a realistic ending. You're left knowing that these girls are going to look after each other, no matter what. And that's great. Sisterhood. Good. <laughs> I've got five fun. I have 20. Yeah, I see the queen. The queen's shining. <laughs> I rocks, man. What are you work today? Welcome to the future. Wait, where's your tickets? <laughs>
Close your eyes. Think of everything that is happy. And stop thinking about all your worries. You've picked another film, Baby Teeth, which we covered in episode 46, where we spoke to Eliza Scanlon, um, who was just, her performance in Baby Teeth is fantastic. In a nutshell, what did you love about Baby Teeth? I loved its design. I loved how engrossing it was. I loved how upsetting it was, because I, I think, you know, movies that make you, that move you are very special. But I really loved the characters and how they interacted with one another and how refreshing that all was and how realistic that all was because even if you know that somebody really dear to you is has got a unpromising future you know it makes you think what would you say to that person what would you do with that person and i've never seen death handled in that way without giving away too many spoilers well you know it's about terminal illness and mm. how a family deal with the uncertainty of that i guess what's good about it as well is that you never actually know what it is that she has mm. because it doesn't matter and I think that goes into the handling of this. Yeah, it's, it's a very refreshing approach. Makeup is another one that we featured in the same episode, episode 46. And also we spoke to the writer-director Claire on the BFI YouTube episode. And makeup is such a striking debut, I thought, from another great female director. What did you think? Isn't it? I think this year in particular, maybe it's just a very great time for first-time female directors because there are some real great strides being made right now and makeup is such a confident debut in its cinematography in its direction in the themes that it's approaching in terms of this second sexual awakening which is so poetically personal to Claire and she's been able to mine this change in her own life in this very artistic way it really left me quite stunned and again I think I read quite deeply into how you know this dream deferred this idealistic idea of what you think the world's going to be and then later something happens you know like, actually my life is something else and that is okay and that is beautiful also very relevant now, as you say. And now you've seen something that I have not, and it's on Mubi. Tell me more. So one of our finest female directors, one of our finest directors, period, is Matty Diop, a young French director who has cut her teeth on making short films before making her can-winning Atlantiques. But she's made a film in lockdown. Granted, it is a fashion film for Mimu. However, there is such beautiful artistry within this and it's very contextual to this time right now where we're all going through isolation. And it's Matty Diop herself sitting and listening to tape recordings of a prominent female family member. And she's spending time in her flat alone and she's dressing up in these outfits, which I think is part of the Mimu bit. But essentially that is very subordinate in what we're seeing of this young girl entertaining herself in her flat and reckoning with the relationship that she has with this female family member. It's very Matty, if you know any of her other films, in the lighting and the dusk and the atmosphere. It's very mesmerising. It's a lullaby of a movie. So it's called In My Room and it's on the streaming service Mubi. So good, I'm going off to watch that shortly. Excellent. <laughs> Great, is there anything else you wanted to leave the girls on film listeners with? Just that. I hope everyone's okay. <laughs> I hope everyone's staying safe. Um, but I think the cinema industry is obviously very difficult right now. And if you can, and if you do feel safe, 
I would certainly go out there and support your local cinema and give it a chance and, and watch an independent film. And if you don't feel safe to go out, then there are plenty of opportunities, more so than ever, to watch a good quality independent film from the comfort of your home. Don't be put off by the extra price because you have to pay for good art and stay safe. Love it. Perfect message. Thank you, Credit. And and to you, stay safe, look after yourself, and please come back on Girls on Film again soon. We love having you. Sure thing. Thank you. Miss Juneteenth is out in cinemas and on digital now. Thanks to our intern, Eliana J, our executive producer, Heather Archbold, our producer, Jane Long, assistant producer, Heather Dempsey, and our partners for this episode, Vertigo Releasing. Do follow us and message us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find all the info in the episode description. Girls on Film also has a Patreon page where you can give a small amount each month to support us and in return we'll give you some special treats. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash girlsonfilmpodcast. Please do subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode. We love reading your reviews. And don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Channing, Godfrey Peoples and Karina Antropus. See you soon and stay safe, everyone. 